Well, Jesus, thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we have now, Lord, to just focus on your word and to hear something, Lord, that will be meaningful, even transformational, Lord, in our stories. Lord, we just pause to just open ourselves up to what you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hey, what do you think has the greatest influence on your success in life? What do you think? What do you think is your greatest strength, personally? What do you think is your greatest weakness? What do you think about God? Can I just tell you, what you think matters. What your mind takes in and that you consider and think about, it really, really matters. We're gonna see this big time from something that the Apostle Paul wrote as we look at Philippians chapter three today, and we're gonna see that what you think really, really matters to God. In fact, what we're gonna see in Philippians three is that Paul says that guess what? That the number one, that what you think actually determines your faith and your maturity. So how, do you wanna grow? You, you wanna like get wise here? Let's look at what Paul says in Philippians 3, we're actually gonna be reading a bigger section of scripture today than we typically do. We're gonna be reading through a lot of Philippians chapter three. Now, I've read Philippians chapter three, you know, I don't know, dozens of times over many, many years. I had never seen what I saw that I'm gonna bring to you today until this last round of going through doing our 260 Bible reading along with y'all. Because what I saw in this passage is that Paul uses, listen to this, 14 different references. In one, one little section of scripture, 14 different re references to our minds, what we think, what we know, and what we believe. Is it all about the mind? And so what I did as we read, and you can read along with me, you're gonna see all those 14 different places that are like highlighted to just like call them to your attention. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to have you shout out one, two, three, you know, every time we go. But check out what he says about the mind and how we think and what we think. Starts out, we're gonna start in verse four of Philippians chapter three. He starts out by saying, if someone thinks, there we go. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in physical qualifications, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. It's like if you think that you have reasons like to be confident in just like all the natural stuff of like who you are, what you're all about and how you pursue faith, like even religiously, he's like, 
I got, I got you like covered on that. I'm like one up in you all over the place. I have more. But then he goes on. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Con- what we consider means like what we think about something. You know, like, do you consider my outfit to be rather attractive today? Uh-huh. It's what you think about it, right? It's like what you consider is what, what you think about something. Do you think it's, do you consider that it's important to be part of a church? Some of you are like, oh, I'm still in the bubble on that. Listen, it's what you think about it is what you consider. Paul's gonna use that word consider four times in these next verses. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss. This is how I now think about it. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Wow. All right, Paul. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that is, which is through faith in Christ. You see, I highlighted the word faith in there, and I'll, I'll tell you why later. Because it has to do with how we perceive, how we think, our, our view on reality. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to obtain the resurrection from the dead. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider, there's number four, time to use that word consider. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And I love this. Man, this is like the comedian Apostle Paul right here saying what every pastor in the world has wished that they could just say like to their churches. Check this out. He says, you know, all of us who are mature should take a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I love that. I mean, it's like, I I mean, he had to be laughing when he wrote that. If you think differently than I do on these things, yeah, you're wrong. God will show you. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. 
Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind, their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts off by saying, hey, you may think that you have like confidence in natural things, just like who you are. And you know, when he lists several different things that he says, no, I'm better than you when it comes to having confidence that way. You know, my, my cultural heritage, even my ethnicity, how I've pursued things. I've done everything right. And I've done them passionately, even religiously. You can't find fault here. So he's saying like, if anybody could think that, ask me, right? Then he goes on four times to say, bam, but now the way I consider life has been completely different. In other words, he said, I rethought my faith. I came to this point where I had to rethink reality. I had to rethink the way things truly are. So I have reconsidered all these things. And then he, you know, says, and if you think differently, well, you're wrong. God's gonna make that clear to you too. And then he says that what people think can actually make them enemies of Jesus. Pretty strong statement there. We're gonna unpack this section of scripture, Philippians 3, a bit more. But before we do that, I wanna show you one other thing that Paul also said about the mind and the way that we think. And it's, it's, he wrote it to a different group of people, uh, his friends that were in Rome. And he wrote this in Romans 12, 2. When he says this, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Friends, what you think matters. It's gonna have huge consequence on who you are, how you live, the decisions you make. And you're like, I'm not, I'm not really so sure about that. Let me give you a couple of real world examples about how what you think actually can determine the outcome of your story. Um, it was a handful of weeks ago, we did our parenting class. Um, and we had a bunch of parents in the room and, and man, we talked for just hours together about just how we could be better parents. We also took a look at like all the things that are like impacting the next generations. And, and the topic of gender identity came up because it's, it's huge and it's impacting like the younger generations in, in some pretty significant ways. And um, so we're talking about this and one of the moms like said, pause, like I, I just need to tell a story about this and she talked about her son who when he was 10 years old, she was having this conversation with him and she was reflecting on the fact that like, oh man, you know, like long time ago, man, I just wish I had all kinds of kids. She wanted this big house filled with like boys and girls running around and she said, but you know what? I have two wonderful boys and the 10 year old boy stops her and says, 
how do you know I'm a boy? And just like the mom just kind of like, what what are you talking about? And and the 10-year-old starts telling his mom, like, well, well, you, you can't tell somebody if they're a boy or a girl. And she's like, where did you learn that? I learned that at school. And it wasn't from a teacher, wasn't in a class. What she discovered is that there were some older boys who had shown her 10-year-old a video and kind of reinforced that thought through whatever conversation that they had had. What you think matters. You just play that forward and play that forward in millions of kids' stories about what they're learning and how they're perceiving life. What you think matters. Here's another real world example of what we think matters. It was a number of years ago, there was this psychologist. He's actually uh, still living and is uh, kind of this award-winning psychologist, been highly recognized. Um, His name is Robert Rosenthal. And he did this kind of real world experiment in an elementary school here in California. And what he did is that uh, he, they, he gave this IQ test to all the kids of the elementary school. And then what he did is he went to the teachers and he said, we have identified that one out of five children in this school is exceptional. Like high IQ, they are like ready to bloom academically. One out of five. And he told them which one out of the five students was writing. The rest were just, you know, kind of average, below average, whatever. But one out of five, woo! Watch out for these kids, right? They're ready to, they're ready to explode. Here's what they had done, though. Those one out of five kids that they told were completely chosen at random. There's like no basis for reality. They were, they were wanting to see what would happen when teachers believed that those particular kids were like ready to like blossom and like just explode intellectually. So what they did is they went back and they retested all the kids like at the end of the school year. And you know what happened? Those kids that had been randomly chosen as like the high achievers, the high IQ kids, they actually were the ones who grew their IQ at a much higher rate and level. Why? Because of what the teachers thought about those students. What you think matters and and what Rosenthal and other people have have kind of like unpacked that, like how how did that work? why, Why did that happen? It's because the way they taught changed depending on what their perceptions were, what they were told, what they thought was reality about those particular students. They gave them more attention, more encouragement, more time, more, you know, all the stuff that you would do to that kid. You go, oh man, you're gonna make it, kid. And I'm gonna help you get there, right? Pretty crazy. Other studies have been done that shows that the opposite is also true. That when we perceive you know, that people are not worth our time. That there's this self-fulfilling prophecy of what happens. That can happen within a home. 
that can happen within a place of business, that can happen within a church, can happen anywhere. What we think matters. And Apostle Paul is getting after it in this because, man, it also really, really impacts our faith. What we think about God really matters. What is, what is faith? I wanna give you like a super simple Pastor Tim kind of working definition. Faith is essentially how you think about reality. How you think about the re- reality, like everything that can be known or experienced, like that's reality. How we think about reality really is our faith. Now, there's a lot of different like philosophical terms that could be, you know, categories of how people perceive reality. Um, but I want to give you two kind of really big ones and just define them very simply. Um, one is, would be called naturalism and the other would be called theism. Two, two worldviews. Again, there's many others. Um, but the, those two, naturalism and uh, theism, actually, out of those two categories, that, that's like the vast majority of people in the world have one of those two worldviews, the ways they view reality. Naturalism, um, that is, th- those are people that just really believe that everything is physical, purely physical. From the Big Bang forward, the way everything is developed and grown and even like our bodies and, and everything, it's just, come on, it's just all physical. It can all be like scientifically figured out why you are the way you are because of you know physical traits and DNA and just whatever, but it's, it's just all physical, you guys. And so people who are pure naturalists, they reject everything that is supernatural or spiritual. There's no like place for, for God in their, in their stories or their thinking. And that encompasses a huge percentage of the world. And listen, there are natural outcomes for that way of thinking. We'll get to a couple of them in a minute. The other way, the other huge way of thinking would be called theism or not just theism, but monotheism. Theism means there's a belief in God. And some people, uh, Buddhists, Hindus, others would, could be maybe called pantheists. They believe that there are many, many gods. But the vast majority of the world believes that there's one God. Not all the same God, but they believe in one God. So like Jews, uh, Muslims, Christians believe, are monotheists. They believe that there's one God. Now, those of us who are followers of Jesus, who like actually believe, hey, the scripture is the way that God like interacts with us and whatnot, we could even be called like biblical monotheists because we believe that the Bible is the one who kind of reveals who God is. But monotheists believe that there really is a God that he created the world, that he interacts with the world and that we can actually have a relationship with this God. So we would kind of fall into that category, like I said, of biblical monotheism. In this chapter, Philippians 3, Paul addresses two different kinds of thinking that fall into that area of naturalism. 
Like everything is purely physical, natural, not supernatural. And the first example that he gives at the beginning of the chapter is, it's this kind of interesting mix of kind of religious naturalism. Because what he addresses there is those who put their confidence in who they are naturally. Their confidence is in their flesh. Remember, it's in Philippians 3, 4, when we started out, that says, if someone thinks, right? If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in physical qualifications or in the natural, I have more. And that's where he starts going through this list about things that people put their trust in, but they're just natural. Like literally he starts out like, I'm a Jew, right? Which in that culture was like, you're like at the top of the food chain spiritually, right? And he said, not only that, but like I've done everything right for a Jew, right? Circumcised on the eighth day, like in regard to the law, I'm faultless. Like I've been pursuing this passionately. This is like everything about who I am and how I've lived my life, all natural things. He says, what? I can put confidence in that. And there are people who think that all of those things are really what matters. That's, those are the things that people put their stock in, yeah. right? Their ethnicity, yeah. their heritage. They've done everything right. Yeah. You know, does it make sense? Yeah. They may even think that, that like, well, maybe there is an afterlife. But the way to get there is that like, you know what? God will receive those who do more good than bad in their, their lives. You ever heard that kind of rationale? Listen, that is a faith view. But it's not one that is based on what scripture tells us. It's based on what Paul is getting after here. It's actually just a naturalistic view of religion. If you just do a little bit more good than bad in your life, it's all good. You're going to be fine. That is not what scripture tells us. And so that's why Paul gets to this whole idea when he began to rethink his faith based on an encounter that he had with the living Christ. Oh, so he gets into this. Let's just read it again. Verses seven through nine, he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. So picture this, he's got like a wins and loss column in his life, wins and losses. Some of you are athletes. I'm looking at you, okay? This is my guy, okay, Mr. M. Wins and losses. He said, I used to think that wins in my life were over here, but now I have reconsidered my faith. I have reconsidered what success is. And I now consider loss. All of those things. Why? For the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's this personal knowing. It's not like this theoretical knowing. It's actually a relational knowing. You know? It's that way that you know your spouse. 
You don't just know about them, you know them personally. I've gotten rid of all of those things. All those, just that natural pursuit of life, trying to be this good person, this perfect person. I had to get rid of all of that so I could truly come to know Christ for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, meaning this list of things that like says, this is, you're a good person or you're a bad person. Now he says, I had to get rid of all of that because my righteousness being right before God doesn't come from all of that. But it comes from faith like actually believing and putting my trust in Jesus and what he did. Paul rethought his faith. It had been based on human qualifications and effort, but then he was confronted with the reality of Jesus and the gospel. Learning this amazing news that God had done all the work needed to redeem humanity. Something he could never do. And so he tossed out all of that old thinking like yesterday's garbage. Then at the end of this chapter, he kind of flips the narrative and addresses like this other group who is also thinking naturally instead of supernaturally, but they weren't thinking about how good they were. It was almost the opposite. Because in verses 18 and 19 of Philippians 3, This is what Paul says. He says, for as I have told you often before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So it's similar, but just take out any kind of religious notion of like, I'm gonna be good enough to get to God. No, these people are like, forget it. They're like full on naturalists. They're kind of like the people like, hey, dude, just eat, drink, marry, party for tomorrow you die. So just like squeeze out as much of life as you can get and it doesn't matter how you do it. So it says like their God is their stomach, meaning like whatever is fueling your natural appetites, just fill it, just go for it. Even in ways that like we would think like, dude, that is like shameful how you're going after that. And you just look around at the world and how crazy it is and how people pursue all kinds of things. Like that even brings shame, right? In In a real way on their being. But why are they doing that? Because they're just chasing after, filling up themselves with just like the natural stuff, all the, like, what can I just fill my senses with that would try to bring me life? Because this is all I get. There is no God, there is no supernatural, there is no heaven, there's no hell. So just like go for it and try to have as much fun along the way as you can. Paul describes these 
kinds of people, people who, who have this mentality. He calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. This sounds kind of harsh, but I don't believe Paul is being harsh here. He's just being accurate. He's just describing the reality that you cannot be somebody who at the same time is like advancing the work of Jesus and the gospel in any way when your mind is just racing to see how can I fulfill all my natural lusts and appetites. They are, those things, he says, are like fighting against each other. They're at war. There is this battle going on between what is in someone's mind who is in this situation. In fact, he, gets, he really gets after this concept, like just a little parenthetical, but again in Romans chapter eight, I want you to just look at what he says about this very thing, about people who are just pursuing life that way. He says this in verses six through nine of Romans eight, he says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Because he says this, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It's that same idea that like, no, people who are pursuing life this way are actually enemies of the cross. They're enemies of Jesus. They're fighting the gospel. So I wanna ask this. What can we do to fix broken thinking? What can we do to, like Paul did, how can we begin to rethink our faith? How can we begin to ask Jesus to kind of do a reset uh, in our minds so that our, our thoughts are, are ones that are gonna lead to life and to peace? Three things that we're gonna close with. Resist, reject, and renew. Resist, reject, and renew is part of a rethinking process. You ready? Let's, let's finish with these three things. Number one, resist godless thinking. Listen, there's this conflict. There's this battle. There's this, our, our minds can end up being enemies to a real faith in Jesus. And we have to recognize that there's this battle going on and we have to be part of the resistance too often we give into thinking that is just godless and unhelpful and unfruitful. That naturalistic way of thinking about life and reality as if there were no God. We have to resist it. To the church in Corinth, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 10:5. He says, This is how we pursue this renewal, rethinking of our faith. He says, we demolish yeah. arguments yeah. and every arrogant attitude yeah. that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient 
to Christ. Just leave that scripture up there for a moment, if you would. This is really a significant passage. What Paul is saying here, like pay attention. The words that he's using, we demolish them. That word is like, we gotta tear it down. You know, like in the biblical days, there would be this idol that would be set up. And you know what? There would be some leader that would actually like be thinking in the ways of God. And you know what they would do? They would go and they would tear down that idol. They would tear it down. Say, this does not belong here. We don't want this in our space. We don't want this in our land. In the same way, Paul is using that same kind of language to say we, are, we have to get after it with some spiritual violence. Demolish it. Resist. Fight it. Why? Because there is a fight that is going on for your mind. And in too many people, in too many families, in too many situations, you know what? The enemy's winning. People are thinking in ways that are absolutely contrary to the gospel, to the hope that we have because of a faithful God who through Jesus provided the way that we could be redeemed, all of humanity. But man, we just look around the world today and we see so many things that are evidence that, man, so many people don't get it. And so many people, instead of demolishing those arguments and those arrogant attitudes of like, I just know what's right, we're gonna pursue it this way, whether it's through a political platform, right? Can just stand against the things of God. And I'm not only talking about communism, socialism, I'm talking about anything that could replace Jesus as being the hope for humanity. All of those arguments. And then, man, it's all of the things of people pursuing their lusts. And just, this is who I am and I'm gonna do whatever I want to do in pursuit of those things. We've gotta like demolish those things, tear those things down and say, God, I don't want any godless thing occupying my mind. We have to demolish them. We have to resist, you guys. We have to resist godless thinking. So we have to like, one, we have to know what is godly thinking? Like what does God want me to think? It's why we're doing 260. It's why we're like reading through the New Testament saying, Jesus, I need a revelation, like an ongoing revelation. Build my knowledge, build my wisdom about who it is that you are and what have you said and who am I in you? right? What does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? We need to like fill our minds with what is true so that we'll be able to recognize what's false so that we can resist it. Number two, not only do we resist godless thinking, but we reject everything that has held us back. Everything that the enemy had planned to hold you back from being able to advance in your faith, we need to like reject it. That's, I believe, why Paul says here in in this chapter that we read, where he says this in verses 13 and 14 of Philippians 3, he says this, forgetting what is behind. 
and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Forgetting, forgetting, forgetting. Listen, Paul is not talking about, oh, you need to get like some sort of like spiritual amnesia about all that stuff that like was in your life before, all the brokenness, the sin, the memories, all those things. He's not saying like literally, you, I can't remember how that person hurt me or I can't remember those really terrible things that I did. No, those are like, those are memories. But you know what? What Paul is getting after when he's saying forget He's saying, do not allow those to be what influences you any longer. He's saying, you have the power to make a decision about those past things and say, I am going to break the power that they have had over my story. Forget it. We, in order to, before we can press on, we have to like deal with what's back here. And Paul says, you got to forget it. You have to like reject those past things in order to be able to move on. One thing that I think that we could just briefly mention here is the concept of forgiveness. Because you know what forgiveness does? When you have been hurt, when you have been sinned against, when someone has done something to hurt you, do you know what forgiveness does? It it sets you free. It does not like forget as if that thing didn't happen. What it's actually doing is saying that thing no longer, I am no longer giving it the power to influence my life. I'm not giving it that power. Forgetting what's in the past. So forgiving does not literally have to do with, well, I'm, I'm just gonna forget that that bad thing happened. No, what it means is I'm not going to give it the power in my life to influence me any longer. <laughs> Forgiveness is one of the tools that God has given us to reject something that was designed to harm us to hold us back from moving forward. It's one of those tools that God has given us literally for our minds to do battle, get after this, of rethinking what it means to be someone who is pursuing Jesus. Reject everything that's held you back. And the last thing is this. Resist, reject, and then renew. Renew your mind. It's in the next chapter. It's, it's one that we also read this week in our 260 Bible reading about renewing our mind. This is what he said. He said, fix your thoughts in Philippians 4, 8. Fix your what? Fix your thoughts, the way that you think. It says, rethink. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You know, when you, when you first hear that list of words that Paul's saying, no, this is what you need to think about, it actually, as a guy, can sound a little weak sauce here. 
think of the things that are lovely, you know? It sounds like a list of like Disney princess qualities and characteristics. Lovely, pure, right? This is no weak sauce list, friends. These things right here are the qualities and characteristics of Jesus himself. I, I, wanna, tell, I wanna tell you, I wanna say it again to this side of the room. These things right here that Paul is saying, fix your mind on them. These are the qualities and characteristics of Jesus. And do I need to remind anybody that Jesus is like the king of kings, the Lord of lords who's over all things. And this is what he is like. Wow. Why do we need to fix our mind on these things? Because if we're not fixing our mind on the qualities and characteristics of Jesus, how are we ever gonna become like him? How are our minds gonna start perceiving things the way that Jesus does if we don't do this? But it's a battle. It's a battle. Because our minds wanna get fixated on things that are fearful that causes worry. Fixating on our brokenness, on all the bad stuff. Yesterday I got a phone call um, that my dad had been rushed to the hospital and uh, it was only about two to three hours later that my daddy left this earth and went to heaven. And um, last night I was doing okay. You know, like even like, man, am I gonna get up and preach in the morning? And am I gonna come and bring this message about our faith and our minds and all this? And <clears throat> But I was doing okay. Thought about it, I said, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then I woke up this morning wasn't so good for whatever reason, you know, like just like our thoughts begin to run in all kinds of different directions. Our thoughts. I want to show you a picture of my daddy. <laughs> hey, dad. Oh, those eyes are looking to the eyes of Jesus today. Super special, just even last evening, rehearsing like all the amazing things that have just been part of even the last six months. One is that I got to travel out to Texas and I took this picture back in January and all of his kids, <laughs> all of his kids got to be with him this year. When none of us live in, in Texas, none of us live in that area, but all of us got to go and be with him this year, which is just remarkable. Just remarkable. That's just one of the things. Even the fact that he went really quickly. I mean, he, he'd been working on that script for a long time and had told us multiple times that that's the way he wanted to go and that he was super, super ready. God granted him that. But I'll tell you, it's, and I'm sure many of you have been 
kind of in my shoes. You know, but then all the other emotions start to come, and not just the emotions, but literally the thoughts. My dad was not a perfect man. My dad did many things that were out of brokenness, out of his own personal story, that maybe we'll share more of at some other time. But there are many things that he did that were not perfect, that were actually pretty broken. And oh, how easy it is for our minds to go and get fixed on those things rather than in the redemptive story of what Jesus did in his life to redeem, to restore. And the reality of the gospel that because my dad had put his trust in Jesus, that my dad today is a recipient of the prize that Paul was talking about, about forgetting what's behind so I can press on to that which really matters. And that's that life in Jesus. One that's not just for this life, but is eternal life. And today I'm telling you, I am making the choice to resist just that depressive darkness that can creep into my soul. I'm resisting it because it's godless. It doesn't belong in me. I am choosing to reject that which would hold me back. I'm choosing to even now, and I've forgiven my dad, believe me, we've had deep, deep conversations about, about that. In fact, one of them is online, a little video thing that we did one time. I've forgiven my dad. And I need to remember that because forgiveness is not just a one-time act. Forgiveness is even today. <laughs> Letting those things go, rejecting those things that have already been dealt with and saying, no, I'm, I'm not gonna let those things hold me back. I'm giving them to Jesus and I'm renewing my mind. I'm renewing my mind. I am fixing my thoughts, not on things that are wrong, ugly, broken, dishonorable, but on with that which is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. And man, even in my dad's story, there's so many things <laughs> that were excellent and worthy of praise. Most of all, that Jesus did a really good work restoring a broken man. And I will forever be grateful of that reality. What about your story? How about you? Just like me, right in the middle of something, maybe you're right in the middle of something, maybe you're wrestling with thoughts. What you think matters. And mostly, your view of reality, does that include Jesus and his availability to you, his goodness, his presence, his ability to just knock out things that are just the, the broken parts of our story. It's why he went to the cross, was to ultimately like put to death those things that were intended to kill you. 
Eric, would you come? Let's just stay for a moment just in this space of, would you just allow your mind to think about life? To think about your faith, meaning like how you view reality. Is God a part of that? Have you invited him into that? Have you even opened up your, the possibility? I, I've shared this before, but my dad kind of grew up in that kind of like Americanized Christianese kind of version of reality that he thought, oh, I'm American, I'm a Christian. And he wasn't. <laughs> and through a whole crazy chain of events, he got invited to this weekend thing with some people who were very brilliant and very radically committed to Jesus. And it just brought him to this place as an adult where he recognized that his life did not belong to God, but he was at this point of even like questioning, is there even a God? But he saw what God was doing in the lives of these other people and he like couldn't deny it. Kind of blew him away. He was confronted with the reality of the gospel in these other people's lives. He was too embarrassed to do this like in front of these other guys because they all assumed that like, oh man, this guy's a person of faith just like we are. He wasn't. But on his drive home from that encounter, he prayed maybe his first genuine prayer of his life but it just went something like this. God, I don't even know if you're real. But if you are, I give you this next year of my life to show me. In other words, he had this reality shift in his perception that maybe there really is a God Maybe the gospel is true. Maybe Jesus did come to bring rescue to me in my story. And so he very simply and with humility recognized that I may have been wrong about how I perceived life. And he opened this door to Jesus that listen, not only did it forever change his story, it changed my family's story. It changed my life. I wouldn't be pastoring today if my dad had not prayed that prayer. I firmly believe that. Because man, our family would have gone in some other crazy broken direction. But he just opened up his mind to rethink reality, to rethink his faith. And it changed everything. And friends, I'm asking you today, would you open up your minds, open up your thinking to give God a chance? And I believe that as you do, that he's gonna come in and make a massive, beautiful, profound, transforming difference in your life and your story. Oh, Jesus. Ha <laughs> ha. And sometimes our minds are racing, God, just because there's so much going on in our stories, in the world, so many things that want to crowd into that space of our mind. Some really good, some really 
dark and broken. Lord, this morning, we just bring it all to you. Jesus, would you empower us by your spirit, Lord Jesus, to resist those things that would be meant for our destruction. And to Jesus, that we would instead begin to renew our minds by thinking on you. Would you do that here, Lord? And friends, if there is anybody here today that like my daddy had this battle going on and where he just opened his mind to the possibility of God being real and being available to him. And if that's you, if you just wanna say, I'm, I'm gonna take that risk. I'm gonna humbly open myself up to the possibility that I've been wrong about how I've been pursuing life. And I wanna open my life to Jesus. If that's you today, would you just like lift up your hand and by doing that signaling like, pastor, that's me. I wanna do that today. I want to give myself over that possibility of Jesus being real, yes. Anybody else? Yeah, yes. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Lord, thank you for the reality, not only of where my dad is today, but God, I thank you for the reality that we can open up our lives to you and have our minds renewed, our thinking renewed in Jesus' name. Lisa, would you come? And I just am inviting the ministry team up. We, we're closing today as we always do with giving opportunity for you to receive ministry. Because listen, like me and what's going on in just my story today, I need prayer. I need other people to just come around me and just to pray that God would encourage me Fill me up with everything that I need. Listen, I don't know what's going on in your story. God does. And he's got something powerful for you. So if you're dealing with anything in your mind that you just need to bring to Jesus, do it today. Do it today. Friends, you are loved. Um, have a beautiful, beautiful week. Love you.